Welcome to the Australasian and ASEAN segment of Emergence 2021. I'm very happy that you could join us for this grand occasion where we empower innovation, capital and ambition. I would like to introduce to you a an amazing lineup of guests, keynote speakers and panelists for this session. Firstly, James Calignotis, who's the Managing Director of DeepBridge Australia. John Sharp from Hatcher Plus, who's got an incredibly unique way of approaching venture investment. Joseph Mokanu, who's the Managing Partner at Verge Health Tech. Huey J Lim, who's the Founder and Executive Director at Vision Group and will also be the moderator for this panel session. You'll also get to watch panel sessions and discussions around Asian investment trends as well as cryptocurrency and blockchain trends. This segment will feature companies in the sectors of clean tech, AI, biotech, edutech, fintech, blockchain, life science, consumer products, healthcare, SaaS, media tech, prop tech, and also ride sharing. Now, last but not least, jump onto the Brella app. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conversations taking place inside Brella right now. More than that, set up on one screen Brella so you can have your discussions with people. Set up on your other screen the live stream. So the best of all, you can have the live stream and also be having discussions all at the one time. Perfect for the mind that loves to do two things at one time. Enjoy this next session. We now have the privilege of hearing from keynote speaker, John Sharp, who's the founder and partner at Hatcher Plus, who'll be discussing the emerging strategies in investment in venture capital. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here at Emergence. Uh, really looking forward to seeing all of the other participants and really glad to be able to present uh, today on emerging strategies in venture capital. Um, for those of you that have followed us on LinkedIn or, or know about our story, um, we've been researching venture capital for about three years, um, and that comes on the back of being traditional VCs for a number of years prior to that. Um, so our first fund, Hatcher H1, has done really well. It's at a 22% IRR at the start of year eight, so we're pretty pleased about that. Um, but when we're doing this fund the first time, we had the kind of feeling that we're sort of operating in the dark, and we wanted to learn a lot more about venture capital and that uh, kind of created a, a situation where we really did a deep dive into 20 years worth of, um, of venture data and 60 years worth of, uh, of venture history. And so I'm going to take you through a little bit of the stuff that we've learned today. Well, not a little bit. I'm going to show you exactly what our strategies are and, uh, and also what we've learned from all of that deep dive into over 600,000 venture transactions um, and 20 years of venture data and 60 years of venture History. So, without uh, any further uh, preamble, let's uh, let's let's jump in. So, the first thing I want to—I I really like starting off um, by talking about the first venture deal, not generally considered the first venture deal that was ever done. It was done by a company called American Research Development Corp, and they invested seventy thousand dollars in Digital Equipment Corporation. Ten years later, they had an IPO. It generated a one thousand two hundred x return and uh, 101% IRR, and everyone just jumped up and said, what is this venture capital investment? Um, you know, how can we get into this, this kind of thing? And, and this was really the start of the whole sort of Silicon Valley venture ecosystem. This was a Valley deal, and within two years of this IPO, you had Sequoia starting up, then a few years after that, you had Axel and Kleiner and, uh, and, and, and all of the big name Valley brands in venture. And then, so that was really venture 1.0, um, I, th I think is a good term for this. 
And then lo and behold, that model prospered and spread. And, and then what you had happen was in hundreds of cities all around the world, um, you started seeing at first like angel investment groups and then then yeah, typically Series A guys and, and then you'd have seed investors that would feed professionally deals into Series A guys and you have the latest stage guys come up. And literally you've got thousands of people um, now popping up around the world like inhabiting these ecosystems um, including all of the founders, many of whom I'm sure are here today and watching this, this presentation. And I would ask you all just to pause for a moment, look at this picture and see if you can figure out um, where it's from. Um, I've asked this question many, many times. It's yet to be gotten right. A lot of people pick India, some people Saudi Arabia, some people London, some people the Valley. It's actually Rio de Janeiro. But the reason I include this picture is is by and large, when you're inside a, a demo day or a, or an accelerator or a Series A um, VC, it, we all kind of look the same around the world. And our modalities, the way that we operate, is kind of the same too. We we tend to um, we tend to do a lot of stuff manually. We we tend to we tend to invest, if the truth's told, within 30 miles of our home base. That there's certain things that we've adopted from Silicon Valley and not really pushed too hard on. And one of those things also is just the massive use of Excel and, and, and PDF business plans and all, all the rest of it. Um, we think all that is going to change pretty radically in the next 10 years. And if any of you have ever read uh, Michael Lewis's excellent book, uh, Flash Boys, um, fantastic book that really describes what happened in public equities trading um, and inside investment banks in the 90s and how these guys went from spending almost nothing on technology to spending billions on technologies and, and the kind of results that that, um, that, that brought about are, are still being felt today. Uh, I mean, you've got upwards of 90% of trades now happening that are computer on, based on computer-generated algorithms. Um, we think VC is going to follow a somewhat similar path. We did a an informal survey in VCs recently discovered that the average spend on, on data and technology inside of VC is, is $25,000 to $50,000 a year, sometimes a little bit more if they're getting dedicated data feeds. Um, but it's, it's a small amount of money. Um, just by contrast, I'm not saying it's to brag or anything, I'm just saying, saying to provide a contrast, we spend about $2.5 million a year as Hatcher on technology, and we think that that's going to be more the rule. I'd be very surprised if the leading VCs um, if you spoke to them, if they weren't spending at least that or more. But that's going to be what happens. You're going to have to spend a lot more money on data and technology to keep up going forward. There's going to be a few other things that we'll talk about here in the course of the next few slides. Um, we think that basically the sort of non-scalable 2.0 model and the 10 to 15-year funds are going to be replaced by much more liquid structures. Um, we think these structures are going to be investing all around the world because that's how you get diversification. And by the way, if you look at the latest Cambridge Associates uh, reports, you can see that non-US venture is starting to outperform US venture over the last, of course, the last four or five years, um, which is quite fascinating. Um, and we think that people are going to start investing based on a much deeper understanding of, of venture fundamentals. Um, and what we mean by venture fundamentals are really just looking at the real core drivers of, 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 of how deals get pulled into portfolios and how those portfolios get modelled. Um, give you one very, very um, simple example of, of a fundamental, and that's the one in 10,000 rule. So basically, a seed stage investor uh, will invest in one in every 100 startups that they see. So 
So 100 business plans come through the door of a VC. The VC will typically pick one. Um, I met with a VC on Friday, actually, uh, last week, and, uh, and I asked them how many deals they looked at last year. They looked at 1,000. Um, I said, how many made it to your IC? They said 16. And I said, how many did you invest in? And they said two. Um, so that's actually less than 1%. And, but 1% is typically what we would see at the accelerator level or, or for most VCs. But as you can see by that example, sometimes it's even less than 1%. So the 1 in 10,000 rule for some VCs, that, that may be 1 in 20,000. Now, where do I get the 20,000 from? I'm talking about what happens after you've made that selection. Typically, when a VC selects a deal, one in 100 of those selected deals will go on to become a unicorn. Um, so the one in 100 that gets selected, then one in one, uh, 100 of those companies will go on to become a unicorn. And, and as VCs, we're quite dependent on unicorns. Um, if, if you lack a unicorn and you're stable, um, it's very hard to generate the kind of returns that investors are looking for. So, so we're very focused on creating high growth um, companies that can have a successful exit um, because that's how we return capital to investors. So one fundamental is this one in 10,000 rule or the one in 100 startups. And the second part of that rule is, is a rule that I'd like to focus on now, and that's the power curve effect. So basically, when you look at how returns are generated by public equities portfolios or other asset classes, they generally follow a normal distribution curve. They, they look pretty ordinary, um, or, or they certainly look like what you'd expect. VC is quite different. And what you see, and you can see this on the graph on the left here, sorry, on the right on the screen, is you can see that basically the return profile for a VC is fundamentally different. Um, we've studied this and we've found that as a general rule, this idea that you can expect one in 100 companies to achieve a billion dollar exit is not just backed up by our review of 600,000 transactions and our creation of 4 billion virtual portfolios. It's actually out there in the empirical data as well. Um, if you log into Pitchbook or Crunchbase or CB Insights or, or any of the big data vendors, you'll, you'll find that as a general rule, these unicorns pop up one in every 100 investments. So you can expect if you log in and look at Y Combinator, you'll see 20 unicorns for 2,000 investments. 500 startups is about the same. You, you, you can see this repeating itself, particularly for seed stage um, companies and there's an excellent graph that CB Insights has has created that you can find very easily in Google. Just search for CB Insights Deal Funnel, and and you'll see that they uh, they've also done some some great research that backs this up. So what does that mean? It, if you have a power curve effect, it means that your portfolio is going to change um, depending on how many how many investments that you have in that portfolio. And, and you can see this very dramatically on the, on the chart on the left here. You can see that that green line there is basically a 100 um, investment portfolio, which is pretty typical of a VC. I mean, a lot of us in my first fund, I didn't even have that. I did 20 um, investment portfolios. So my, my line on this graph would be even further to the left. And, and, uh, and, and what we've decided to do is actually follow that red line on the right um, the benefit of following the red line on the right is that you can expect to capture uh, more power curve effects uh, quite simply by having a larger portfolio. So if I, like Y Combinator or 500 startups or others that have done this, if I invest in 2,000 companies and I have a good process for doing that, I can expect at that point um, to generate a better return than someone who invests in 100 companies. This does seem a little 
hard to 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 uh, to agree to in the beginning. And I've, I've put this in front of several people, including a lot of folks that run hedge funds and private equities funds. And it takes them a while to really adjust their thinking to venture capital. If you have two outcomes out of a thousand company portfolio, and those two outcomes are DoorDash an Airbnb, you're going to return that portfolio and a multiple, and the other 998 companies can disappear. This is a critical part of venture. That's not quite true of most other asset classes. On the right here, what you can see are a bunch of venture funds that we've studied. There's no names on here. We don't want to, uh, we don't want to point at anyone, but you can see the return. The, 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 the cash on cash multiple is on the y-axis and the number of investments in there portfolios on the x-axis, um, we've noticed a very strong correlation, even in the empirical data, that if you have a larger portfolio, you, you will generally get better multiples and better returns. And these two things match up, the empirical data um, and, the, uh, and the virtual data or the, or the data that we got from our, our simulations. So this is a fascinating thing. Um, hopefully, I've still got you all with me at this point. I'm, I'm sure I've still got the investors because uh, we're, we're looking at these numbers every day, all of us. And this was a study that we did of the returns by investment stage. And what, we're, what you're looking at here is, again, you're looking at cash on cash returns on the y-axis. And then you're looking at the base round there. And the way that we look at base rounds we have to look at base rounds differently than, say, in the US or Singapore and Australia because they're all quite different. Sometimes in the Valley, you'll be talking about a Series A round that would be considered a Series B round in Australia or Singapore, um, and a seed round that would be considered a pre-seed round in the Valley. So, so, so the way that we look at it is we just, we just numerically call them rounds one through eight. But, but broadly, just for purposes of this presentation, let's assume that that's the formation stage. Um, then you've got the angel stage, the seed stage, the Series A, Series B, Series D, Series E, Series F. Um, charted here. The, the blue line are the median VC returns. And what's fascinating, I find, about this um, about this, this graph is it's just so easy to describe, especially to someone that's like a real estate investor. I mean, it just makes sense. You're In the earlier rounds, the valuations are below what they might be on a broader market. You're buying off the plan. There's all sorts of reasons why a discount could and should exist. And, and that's why you get the spread there too. Like depending on how many investors they go and see, depending on what stage you come in at, you get this sort of massive spread and you see that kick there up in the formation round. Some people are putting 50, 100 grand into a company and they're getting an amazing return on, on that 50 or 100 grand. If you go to the other end of the, the chart there and you're investing in Series E or Series F, you can see that the spread on the returns really narrows very considerably and what you have there is a very efficient market, one that's probably valuing the company too high almost always. Um, but essentially, you, you, you have a much better understanding of what the range of valuations are going to be at that point. Your likelihood of getting a 2x return from a Series E or Series F investment, um, I'll, I'll wait for the comments on LinkedIn on this one, but I, I think you'll find that it's generally unlikely. Maybe you get a 1.5 or or, or whatever on a good day, 1.8 on an exceptional day. If you really want great returns, you've got to go early into a company and you've got to try and, and be in that band that uh, uh, that's in those first four rounds. By the way, the red line is NASDAQ. Um, you can see it uh, just at the top there where it says IXIC. That's the uh, NASDAQ index for the purpose of this. Um, the other benefit of going in early as an investor, and this is why we do it, or one of the reasons we do it, is not only do you get uh, higher cash and cash multiples, 
um, but you also accrue uh, pro rata rights, which you can use to invest in later rounds. If you have ever tried to go into a Series A or Series B round against a name brand investor and uh, and you didn't have pro rata rights, uh, you've probably experienced being pushed off the table um, in favour of that name brand investor. Picking up those pro rata rights in earlier rounds is really essential if you want to participate in the later rounds or you know, even cash out um, courtesy of those guys. So another point that we'd make here is that the yeah what we're what we're pursuing at Hatcher is um, is kind of a smart beta strategy. So we're not really seeking alpha so much as we're trying to seek predictable returns. Um, large portfolios give us predictable returns. Uh, we think that investing early gives us a slightly better um, shot at getting uh, getting a better multiple of return. Investing globally gives us a nice diverse portfolio. Um, we typically invest ourselves in the top one percent of deal flow that, that we get in. We have partnerships with the guys in the blue dots on this page here. Um, that This year, we can expect about 20 of those blue dots to supply to us around 30,000 um, deals. That gives us a, a deal flow or an investable deal flow of around 300 deals a year. That's a nice level of diversification. And if you do that across three years, of course, you get to your target 1,000 company portfolio from which you would expect to get around 10 power curve effects. Um, we think that data and technology is so important that we invest a, quite a lot of money um, into the development of it every year. Um, we have created some really great models that have now been fine-tuned over the process of about three years that I think I mentioned earlier are based on 600,000 um, data points out in the venture world spanning 20 years. Um, we've also invested in a technology platform that uh, works on 18 languages, um, 50 currencies, and that enables us to pull deals in and figure out what's out there in the world and, and also maintain a very good representation of where that company's at in terms of, uh, of, of uh, what's happening at the company, shareholder updates, keeping everything in one place. Um, we use a lot of AI. There's a blog that I'd encourage you to read, um, which talks about AI versus human reasoning and venture that we have on our hatcher.com website. Um, that talks about exactly how we use AI. A lot of people think that we use AI to select deals. That's not true. Um, we use this network that I just showed you and the people in that network to select deals. So we have hundreds of people that we're working with around the world to help us select deals. We use our AI to help them figure out what's closest to the mandate, figure out what's most special. And, and so the AI gives them little hints along the way, um, but really we're, we're focused on what the humans think of these deals coming in in the door. And we mainly use our AI to create the data models um, that we use. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention, you know, on the subject of emerging VC strategies and models is, is what's happening at the level of the fund structures um, themselves. This is our structure that I'm showing on the screen here. If anyone wants to write to me at jsharp at hatcher.com, I'll happily share this structure with you if you're interested. And, and what we're trying to do here is capture the, the way that fund structures are, are really changing. Um, for a couple of things, they're almost always going to be plugged into private markets at some level, either at the investee company level or at the fund level themselves. I think in five years, you'll find that most funds will have some kind of liquid nature to them which will enable an investor to come in in year zero and exit at year five. Because if you're at year five and you have a 2x return, you're 100% up on cash on cash, why not exit if that's, if that's your target return? And so liquid structures enable you to set your own timeline as to where that fund should be. 
And you heard me talk earlier about 10 to 15 year funds. We think that the, well, we know actually that the average is actually closer to 15 years um, for the typical VC structure. That's going to go away. We, we believe that the more liquid structures are going to be, uh, to, to be emerging like us. We find the Singapore VCC structure to be an excellent model um, for this kind of emerging structure. And Singapore has several private markets that you can easily attach fund units um, to and start trading um, them on the open market if you're a fund owner or, or manager. And so we, we find that quite, um, quite an interesting approach. We also think that co-GP relationships and relationships with third parties where it's not a fund of fund model so much as it's two funds working together or two managers working together are going to become far more the norm. Why? Because it just gives you, you know, you can both share deals at that point. You can share thinking, you can share knowledge and, and you get a more consolidated, better approach to that. Uh, so we think this is really the next um, wave. So we don't think VC 3.0 is emerging. We, we actually think it's here. Um, we've adopted all of these strategies ourselves at Hatcher. Um, so I was meeting with someone the other day. He said, you know what? You guys are kind of like Moneyball meets Venture Capital. Um, it's very kind of him to say that. If you've not read the Moneyball book, you'll know what he means. It means that we don't just look for founders that look like founders. We look for founders that have great data and, and, uh, and, and a really well thought out business plan. So we're data driven. And when we say we're data driven, that everything that feeds into that means that you know, we're looking for greater levels of diversification. We're, we're looking to really understand where all the deals are coming from. We're looking to understand trends. We're looking to understand if an investment is an impact investment or not. All these things we think are important to know before you're going into a deal and even more important to know as that company is progressing through its growth cycle. Um, the second thing I'd say is that global is super important. Just to recap on that, you know, the, the TMZ, the 30 mile zone model is, is we think it's going away. And you see that happening even more and more now with the with Valley guys that previously were not operating out of the Valley are staying to franchise uh, their brands and, and doing a great job of it. And some guys are just going all in on, on the global story. Sequoia is a great example of that. Um, scalable. So you can't scale your portfolio unless you have large amounts of automation. We know um, because we've built that automation platform. You also need to have standardized approaches to documentation and legals and due diligence and a whole host of other things. If you have that scalability, you have the automation and you have that standardization, founders can get their money faster. As an ex-founder, I used to be an entrepreneur, like many of the people that are watching this, I find that that waiting period of three months where people deciding whether to give you money or not is just excruciating. If you use an automated system, you can get money to founders much faster. And so that's one of our goals as we're all ex-entrepreneurs here at Hatcher, and that's one of one of the things that we want to make happen. The liquid flexible piece we just spoke about, um, we just think this is absolutely, we see it coming now very strongly here in Singapore, and we think that, that we'll see more people moving away from the Cayman models and, and from fixed structures and fixed 15 or 10 or 10 plus two structures towards much more liquid approaches. Um, one final word on how we're using AI. When we use AI to look through a deal, um, we try and ignore anything to do with location, race, age, gender, so that we can create a better picture of that deal that's, or a picture of that deal that's less biased. Um, one thing we get accused of a lot in VC is that we're a bunch of, you know, biased guys that are of a particular <laughs> race, age, gender, 
Um, so we're really trying hard at Hatcher to, uh, to remove those characteristics from business plans or at least from the judging of them um, as, we, uh, as we go through them. Um, finally, I would just say that, that we really believe very strongly in the partner model. Um, we will partner with others. We'll partner with LPs if they want to co-invest with us. And we'll partner with other guys that have great deal flow if they want to partner with us as well. We do think that the emerging world is going to be um, a venture is going to be much less siloing, much more working together, much more transparency. Just as that has happened in other asset classes, we believe that same thing is going to happen in venture. So, look, I hope that's a, a great snapshot for you guys as to what we view at least as as the emerging nature of, of venture capital. Um, a lot of, as I've just mentioned, a lot of this stuff is not just emerging. It is here. If you'd like to learn more, please go on our website at hatcher.com. There's a lot of pretty useful blog posts there. You can download and start using our technology and data, and we'd love you to do that. Um, all of the, uh, the, the, the folks here, you can reach out to any of our partners or, or, or anyone on the team. Um, contact me at jsharp at hatcher.com um, or go on our Twitter feed at GoHatcher if you thought this was helpful. I uh, hope you have a great rest of the uh, of the conference, and thank you again for listening.